Hey everybody, this is Bisa Butler and you are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Yes, yes. You got your decorative papers ready. You got your air dry clay. You got your camera dusted off. New memory card. You ready to go, baby? That's the noise. That's the noise. The sound of creation. We love it, baby. This is Studio Noise Podcast, sponsored by MBAF. They've been supporting and highlighting black artists for 30 years. We've been in it for two. We connect so great. They say they're going to keep us going. We sure do appreciate them. Uh, head over to NBAF.org and check them out. Appreciate you. Uh, so this is Studio Noise Podcast. All the candy coated art conversations that you love with chocolate in the middle. Or shall we say black in the center. Wink, wink. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. Because black people do art. We make culture and we talk about it right here on the noise it's your boy the professor jay barber back at you jiggy jazz is on assignment uh so it's just me and you all summer long right here on the noise new episodes every week uh from now until i uh, hope you appreciate it we we sh- shout outs to jiggy jazz uh whatever it is she doing handling business you know how it go and so uh we got a great conversation for you today uh, returning Studio Noise fam uh, back at you. We're going to talk about it. Uh, but first, I want to kick it and uh, give you the questions because it's just me flying this thing solo and I don't want to talk to myself all summer. Uh, not really. And so I'm going to kick a question to you. So this week, the question is, where do you want to travel for your art? So check this out. Your boy was supposed to be in Ireland right now, right? So part of the Georgia State uh, Master's Program uh, in your summer, in your second year, between your second and your third year, uh, they were sending you out on these experiences, right? So our experience was going to be a trip to Ireland. Uh, We was going to spend two weeks out there at Buren College of Art, you know, travel around, see see the sights, you know what I'm saying? Go to the cliffs, all that good stuff. You know, uh, I was going to bring my wife out there for her 40th. You know what I'm saying? We were going to spend another week after after that two weeks was up. We we're going to spend another week, you know, traveling around doing our thing. We we haven't had time to travel like that um, shoot, since we got married. I mean, I think the last time I've been out the country was uh, when I got married. Tell you how long ago it was. Uh, you didn't need a passport to go to Mexico. Right. So we went to Cabo San Lucas for our honeymoon. That was a great time. Loved it out there. And uh, that's the last time I've traveled internationally. Other than that, I, I, we haven't really traveled that much. It's been a lot of grinding. You know, I mean, I had two kids, you know, that whole thing. You know how I go. Uh, you know the story. Uh, so I, I haven't had a chance to to have those kinds of experiences. So I was really looking forward to it. Uh, very disappointed that the Rona hit the way it did. But, it, you know, it was like a slow motion train. You could see it coming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And just everything got delayed. And you know how it go. It's all good, though. You know what I'm saying? Me and my fellow grads, we got on a Zoom call. We cried and gave each other virtual hugs. <laughs> so it's all good. Um, but, you know, it got me to thinking, uh, especially with this episode, when we talked about travel a lot uh, and seeing other places. Um, where would you like to go uh, for your artwork? Where what was some places? I mean, anything you talk about residencies, uh, workshops, art fairs that you wanted to go to the original Art Basel over in Europe. Um, you know, an African country, Madagascar, Australia, I mean, down there with the Pine Copper Line folks. Um, where do you want to go? Uh, cities, countries, anywhere. Let me know. Head on over to the Studio Noise IG. You'll see a post with the question on it. Uh, just put it in the post. Tag the, tag the places if it's like a residency or an institution, like a museum or something that you really want to be inspired by. Uh, tag it in there. Let everybody know where it is and where it's at. And, you know, you can either do it there on the IG. We got a Facebook page, uh, Studio Noise Podcast Facebook page. That's noise with a Z. And we also have an email. You can submit an email. Keep the conversation just between <laughs> between me and you. It's all good. That's Studio Noise Podcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, so let me know, yo. Uh, keep up the conversation with me. Uh, We're going to be in dialogue all summer. You know, I'm bringing you these new episodes. Uh, You know, y'all can just hit your boy up. Let's keep it going. You know, I want to make sure y'all inspired out there that I'm reaching the people. You know what I mean? And so with that, I'm going to go ahead and kick it to the interview. We got returning Studio Noise fam, one of the uh, originators uh, in the low number episodes, Mr. Jeremiah Ojo, amazing art coach consultant. Uh, He's got his He's got his degree. He's been around the world. He traveled, did a lot of things, and then came back to the noise with all this good information, all these good tips and all these great experiences to, to let everybody know what's going on out there. So we definitely appreciate it. We love catching up with the fam. And so right here on this episode, we got Mr. International <laughs> Jeremiah Ojo on the noise. Stay tuned, man. So we, we back at it. All right. So this is your boy, Jay Barber, back with more Studio Noise. We got one of the uh, Studio Noise fam back on the show, Mr. International, uh, traveling all the way from Lagos to, to Senegal, back to America. And then he with us on the noise again, Mr. Jeremiah Ojo. Yo, yo, yo what's happening? Jay hey, what's Barber. going on, man? How you doing, man? Man, I'm feeling luxurious and respectful. That's what's up. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up, man. We ain't gonna let no technical issues stop us from from having a good podcast. <laughs> you know how we do it. Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, it's always good hearing from you, man. No, it's it's, it's a great pleasure, man. Y'all are family, so it's uh it's always great to uh, have a great conversation and see what's up. That's what's up, man. And you've been doing a lot since the last time you was on the podcast. Y'all go back and check out ep- way back. Then go in the way back machine to episode eighteen. <laughs> featured Jeremiah Ojo. But since then, man, you got your masters in business of art from Sotheby's. Big clap for you. You know what I'm saying? Jiggy Jazz, kicker. She do the air horns right quick. So, so forth. <laughs> right? <you've> been, <laughs> yeah, you've been uh, on the prison board. You know what I mean? You've been traveling all over the place, man, doing a lot of big things, man. So uh, I think it's a good time to catch back up with you. And you got some new stuff like popping off that we need to hear about, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So many new things. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, episode eighteen. Wow, that means I'm OG. Yeah, OG. yeah, OG. Let's yeah, you're original. The low numbers, man. <laughs> wow, uh, original <laughs> noise. Right, <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't know we was gonna make it or not. <laughs> hey, man. Well, much congrats to you and and, and Jazz, man. Y'all have been doing it. I have been a steady listener uh, prior to uh, being interviewed, but also. Since then, uh, so many great artists uh, and uh, creatives you've uh, brought to my attention and to my ears. So it's been great. So kudos to y'all. Um, but yeah, man. So that was had to be at least a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a long, long time ago. Maybe, maybe three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a minute. Yeah, it, it was, was a minute. minute. It was a minute. But you back now. You back now. I'm, I'm I'm back. I'm back. And uh, yeah, I headed out west to, to finish my master's degree in art business uh, from Sotheby's Institute of Art and Claremont Graduate University. Shout out to them. Um, yeah, it was really great um, learning all I can about the art scene out there um, in Southern California and Los Angeles. Um, so many great artists, institutions, galleries. Um, the whole scene is exploding out there. So it was a lot of fun to be uh, a part of it as it was steadily growing. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm back here. Uh, well, back east, rather, and based in Brooklyn. So I'm loving it. Shout out to Brooklyn. Bad sky. Do or die. That's what's up, man. And we're going we gonna to get into it, man. I'm going to talk first. I'm going to ask you about this uh, Power Pivot webinar you had. Uh, new strategies in artwork pricing and repositioning value. I think that's one of the things that, uh, especially with the whole quarantine and lockdown and like coming out of it, you know what I'm saying? By, by the time people hear this, we're supposedly quote unquote coming out of it, like getting, getting back to normal or whatnot. But, it, but it's an interesting time to think about 
uh, the value of art and like how people are positioning themselves in the market and stuff like that. So talk talk a little bit about this webinar. Yeah, I know you ain't gonna give away the secret sauce. They gotta sign up for your webinar, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tell us a little oh, bit about man. it. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's there, there's tons of sauce, so I can pour a lot, um, just not everything. Um, so uh, working with this organization, uh, CCI, the uh, uh, Center for Cultural Innovation out west, based in LA and San Francisco, collaborated with them earlier in February, actually to do an in-person uh, workshop for about almost 40 artists out there. Um, Valentine's Day weekend. Um, and that was really amazing. Um, so uh, that one was focused on pricing art. Um, oftentimes, a lot of artists, particularly emerging artists, don't know where to begin. So uh, done a lot of research, talked to a lot of galleries, artists, established uh, ones who've been in the game for a while, art advisors, aggregated all that information and then uh, created a presentation. And uh, the organization came back to me and said, hey, Jeremiah, we had such a great reception from it. Uh, we'd love to represent, uh, represent it again, but now as a webinar, since we're in kind of this digital age and everyone is social distancing. Um, and I said, great. Well, I've actually added more aspects to it to kind of um, fit with the times now that we're um, in this COVID period and everyone is leveraging uh, the digital space, I wanted to uh, empower artists in getting them to better understand how they can uh, pivot with the change in the marketplace. And that's why I titled it Power Pivot, uh, New Strategies uh, for Pricing and Repositioning uh, Value. So really the key elements that I went over is one, formulas and understanding on how to price art, strategies, between research, uh, comparison, um, and then also understanding your material cost, your overhead cost, making sure you're pricing your artwork, artwork correctly so um, you don't actually lose money and you make profit. And then on top of that, went into some sales strategies because not all artists have gallery representation or art advisors or people supporting um, their sales process. So. I went into great detail on how to optimize the sales process, uh, particularly um, leveraging social media, uh, newsletter, uh, your website, and other uh, strategies in, in ensuring that uh, the people who are looking to uh, consume, support, and relish in what you're creating are able to access it and engage with you on a regular basis. Uh, right now, we're all in front of our computers or our phones, checking email on Instagram Live, Instagram Live, Instagram Live. It's like everyone's <laughs> doing meeting, Instagram yeah. Live. Yeah, Zoom meeting, Instagram so, Live, Zoom, Instagram Live. <laughs> like right, up. you yeah. know. So um, I, I talked about kind of the the, uh, the the cauldron of opportunities to stay engaged with the community that's out there um, who wants to continue to consume and be a part of your art, collect your art, but really needs to know ways they can. Um, and um, yeah, so... Uh, that was a webinar. And you work with emerging artists a lot for people that don't don't remember you from the episode. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, that that's one of the things that has always been like an issue that you hear in art circles. Like how much should I charge for this? Like how much is too much? Uh, how much uh, messes up a market when you're there? Like, you know, it's nothing like showing up with my work at my price and then I show up and your work is as good as mine, but a quarter of the price, <laughs> like by the time people get in, like it kind of, you know, it plays with people's mind. You know what I'm saying? Not not that, not that it, it is a system. So when you do go into a place where you present your work, it is a system. So people do assign value based on what they see and, and judge quality, like specifically. So but a lot of people have problems with like putting, asking for that much. I hear that a lot. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. that's, that's always and I'm so, And I'm so glad you touched on that because uh, the fair majority of people who have issues, um, as you said, are emerging artists. Um, but part of it, and what I emphasized in this workshop and continually do with all the artists I work with, whether emerging, established, um, mid-career or otherwise, is value, value, value. You have to value and understand your value first before you can enter into the marketplace. Because part of it is, the market going to beat you down. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> it's built to do that, right? Yeah. And when you're an emerging artist, you're at the bottom of that economic strata, um, so to speak. So 
um, the only way you're able to sustain yourself is to first know your numbers, uh, your material costs, the time it takes you to create, and then specifically what you are uniquely perfect to present to the world. Mm -hmm. And that is your story. So what is the language? What is the platform? What are the spheres and circles of support that are already advocating and supporting you? Um, how can you aggregate all that together into building a value that you can now tie to your price? Yeah. And, and it, and it, it seems like an easy thing that people should be able to grasp. Right. But, yeah. but it's still, it's still, it's still in practice. There's so many uh, practical concerns that people have when they're selling art, uh, just in terms of being able to continue to do it. Like, you know, being in a space, you know, some people might have a, like an outside studio buying the materials. I just went to, to, to Blick uh, the other day, like, you know, spent, dropped my two fifty on, on buying a bunch of stuff. And you know it it gets it adds up, you know what I'm saying it gets tough, so people are looking for a way to to make it make sense definitely definitely and uh the biggest key is consistency, you know um as you said, I won't give out all the sauce, but the key is find a formula that works for you and stick to it um understanding that formula will allow you and empower you to defend your price and your value. When you do start working with a middleman, whether that be a gallery, an art advisor, a festival, yep. art fair, um, you want to be sure you know your numbers. So if it's 250, you know you got to you know, shell out every time you make X number of paintings or sculptures, that needs to be factored in the, the, the price and also the time and research and other things that goes into it. So yeah. consistency is key yeah. with anything. For sure. And that's that's going to always I think it's always going to be artists like arguing over the prices. Like, I'm not even sure you you also do like gal gallery management. And so even some of the other artists that you have do on the on the higher levels, do, are they still um, wrestling with prices at, at a higher level? Yeah. Like, I mean, should it be um, worth, uh, like, a lot of it is understanding your collector base and their capacity to, to pay. So um, part of it is. I mean, everyone is interested in something, some form of art. Um, but depending on what gallery you're working with, where it's located, who they're marketing to, who is their existing collector base and advocates and supporters, that really sets the appetite for their, your pricing strategy. So if you're an emerging artist and all of a sudden you establish a relationship with a gallery in a, a major art hub like New York, London, or Hong Kong, your prices will exponentially be greater because there's so many other factors beyond your individual practice. Now you have a gallery who has overhead costs right. and they likely have a gallery in one of the fancy areas, uh, you know, Chelsea, Mayfair, uh, Wan Chai in China. I mean, like all these areas are high rent. Um, so they have to also build that into their price structure. So they're not losing money. So there's so many different variables, but the key that I like to emphasize or emphasize rather is that the artist knows their number. That way, when you go to the gallery, they can put whatever they need to put on top. But when you sell and you get your commission back, you're not looking sideways because yeah. you did your math. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I feel that, Joe. So um, I'm going to hop on a plane with you, man. We're going to take me international, man, because I, I ain't been out of the country yet. But this guy's uh, jet setting all over the world. Like, tell, <laughs> tell us about what the art world looks like over in the motherland, man. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, spent quite a bit of time uh, the last two years, well, three years, actually, um, doing some work on the African continent. Um, during my graduate uh, studies, I uh, went to Nigeria and I was there for about three and a half months. And I was a research fellow at the National Council for Arts and Culture. And um, that was great because uh, they're kind of the equivalent of the uh, National Endowment for the Arts. Here. Nice. Yeah. Kind of funding and administrative governmental arm for arts and culture in Nigeria. And uh, it was interesting to say the least. <laughs> uh, but my, my key emphasis was understanding and, and my research kind of topic was understanding how uh, crafts artists or traditional artists, um, their, their economies and how they're able to sustain themselves. Um, as everyday kind of workers uh, versus your fine art or your uh, trained MFA or BFA artist and see where those uh, synergies are, if there were any. And uh, it was quite interesting because um, in Nigeria, a uh, country, 
uh, that are so popular. So, so many talented artists. I mean, there's so many um, talented contemporary artists that we all hear um, here in the States, but uh, many of them come from, you know, these same systems and structures. So I was trying to understand the inspiration behind materials because materials are extremely important over there. And really the use of repurposing objects. Um, uh, a lot of people in the art world like to call it found objects, but uh, one of my clients and uh, mentor, friend, uncle, uh, Olu Amoda, uh, professor and uh, revered sculptor in Nigeria, um, always says, uh, you know, the objects were never lost. Mm. Uh, they've always had meaning. They were always been there, much like us as black people. We don't need to rename it. We can give ourselves a different purpose. So repurposed objects is the orientation he prefers to coin. And, um, you know, going to the continent and seeing, of course, the access to materials and resources to um, buy acrylic, canvas, oil, or even castings and bronze and other things may be difficult. So you find a lot of uh, even emerging artists who are using whatever they can find, everyday objects, and um, putting them to great use. Uh, so it was a whole lot of fun um, visiting uh, Yaba Tech, which is a popular um, art school in Lagos, um, University of Lagos, uh, University of Abuja, and meeting so many great young artists and even doing some workshops for um, a female artist collective um, in the capital city. What kind so of workshops was, a lot was it? Of, I'm sorry? What kind of workshops was it? Uh, professional development. So, okay. uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of it uh, was centered on understanding the art market ecosystem. A lot of artists are like, I make art, I need a gallery, but what else goes into it, right? Why do I need a gallery? Do I need a gallery? Yeah. So I go into all of those things and, and really um, take a deep dive in understanding like what, what your end game is, um, which <laughs> I know you know, because uh, we've worked together for some time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had about, uh, I want to say, 16 visual artists, uh, female artists, and um, also presented that with uh, a good friend who's also a lawyer. So we talked about establishing um, functional uh, and a sustainable business in Nigeria and the, the process of doing that as an art entrepreneur. So it sounds so, like they're, they're having the same conversations that, you know, me and my friends are having in Atlanta. Or, or you know, that I have with other artists in, in here in the states, like so. It's basically the same. That's exactly the same. The accents are different. They speak English, so it's still English. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I, that's the joy of traveling so much is meeting and connecting with Black artists throughout the diaspora and then on the continent. Um, the uh, the challenges are the same. The proportion of those challenges may be different. Um, Obviously, there are so many other um, kind of social and economic issues um, in, in Nigeria and on the continent um, more broadly. But at the same time, um, they're still looking for uh, support, mentors, materials, uh, exhibition space. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're trying to innovate. So the same dialogue. So it's, it's, it's great to um, take the same conversations over there um, and then listen also. Because there are there are some variances, and within those variances, I spend a lot of time just listening and understanding what those challenges are. So it's great. So you talked about materials a little bit. So is it is it a thing where they can't or they don't have as many art stores, or they not like they don't get the same is shipping like more? Like what is it, what's some of the obstacles that kind of separate it? Yeah, uh, a combination of both. Uh, on the emerging side, uh, the young artists, most of them, you know they're in their undergraduate studies or uh, self-trained or taught, and um, they see the big artists. I mean, everyone's online um, in every corner of the globe. So right. they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're seeing, you know, people um, using these materials and they want to use the same, whether it be golden paints or, you know, um, other things. Uh, and there are a number of art stores in Nigeria, but sometimes the cost because of shipping in the international uh, you know, supply right. chain the cost right. generally is marginally more um, and or, you know, they're generally in bigger or the capital cities. So if you're kind of um, on the outskirts or smaller areas, uh, there's really a, a lack of access to material. Yeah. But I, I think that you described before, like part of like what I love seeing on an African artist are the, the various, you said repurpose 
items that they use inside of their artwork. Like, I always think that's super interesting, like, because you kind of get to test the bounds of your creativity just based on, like, what do I have here? And what am I going to make with it? Like, and so then you start to have your own flavor and get your own style. Uh, A lot of artists, emerging artists specifically talk about developing style. Like, style comes from, like, that foundation of whatever I have that's unique to you that you're using to make what you make. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, uh, the lack of access to those materials, uh, the climate. Um, and then I think what's most importantly and something that I consistently iterate, particularly in working with artists um, on the continent or abroad outside of uh, the U.S. is like think about your unique life walking experience. Right. Everyone, because of popular culture and how America exports so much to the rest of the world. So many people are trying to do poor imitations of their oppressors, right, <laughs> as Steve right. Massa Taylor would say. It's just like, <laughs> no, we we want to learn about you. Um, and the great joy for me of being uh, a former practicing artist who has now returned thanks to COVID, I've had some time to dabble back into photography Uh-oh. and some sculpture. Uh-oh. Yeah, but it's for me. I'm not going to be <laughs> exhibiting it, so no competition. <laughs> but... um. The, the great joy is like I've learned a lot about my own cultural history, being a, a Nigerian American, but particularly Yoruba. Um, much of my culture, the language, uh, the symbols, the forms, the visual literacy of Yoruba has um, been imbibed through art. And a lot of artists that I follow and, and really support, um, I was learning about my own ancestral culture through the art that they are creating and some of the titles and the language. Um, vegetation and other things that they would put in their artwork. So it's it's a great way, no matter where you are, you know, um, not just if you're on the African continent, but um, if you're an artist, but particularly as a Black artist, we have a unique time to present our version of Blackness, right. our version of Africanness. Right. So don't dilute that or water it down by trying to be, you know, the next Basquiat. It's like, okay, I got it, seen it, moving on. Yeah, yeah. Kind of stick to stick to what makes you unique and and you can make it. So given that instance, like I I see a lot of uh, African artists um, breaking through. Like, you know, I get to see their work in major collections and on on in all the institutions. uh, And they're coming from over there. Like like what what do you think is I'm not going to say the draw of it, but how are a lot of these artists starting to make waves in the art market that we know it as. Yeah. So there, there, there's two points of it. One, um, Africans uh, on the continent throughout the diaspora have been making since the beginning of time, right? Um, our history is documented through so many things, um, not just visual art, but music. I mean, music has a, a big part of how we're seeing and consuming you know, African culture now with Afrobeat, Afropop and other genres from the continent. But I think one, it is a market consideration. All of the Vermeers, all of the, <laughs> your heart Richters, all of the, you know, uh, Picasso's, all the great pieces or the best inventory is already in the best collections or mm, it's at a right. price point that most people can never afford yeah. in 20 lifetimes. So, um, much like every art movement in every uh, period, there's a shift where the art market begins to, dare I say, gentrify, <laughs> where they look to a, an area or a space that, I guess, has been underutilized, under-recognized, um, much like you see the Black American artists here in the U.S. are getting their shine, whether it be Afro-Cobra, whether it be, uh, you know, so many of the Black modernists. Um, who are getting all these retrospectives and solo shows and representation. All of that is because that inventory has been sitting in someone's garage for 30 years. And they're like, hey, if we correct history, quote unquote, (laughs) we can now capture that inventory and push it through the marketplace. And because this artist is already older, their production uh, volume is reduced. So just like supply and demand. Mm -hmm. If the supply isn't that great, 
the demand increases. And now you have artists who weren't selling anything five years ago who have work that's half a million dollars because the artist isn't making work that frequently anymore. Right. People want the early work. So that same orientation uh, we've seen um, again in the Asian art market, but there was a, a boom and a bust to that. And it's kind of leveled off, uh, particularly with the Chinese contemporary art. Um, uh, we've seen it in Latin American um contemporary and modernist art as well. So uh, the lens have shifted to the continent and the fact that there is such a diversity and a breadth of ethnicities, languages, and cultures within the African Black context. There's a multiplicities of orientations that people can receive their version of, of Black visual arts. And yeah. that's the beauty of it. But um, I think, it, again, it is the responsibility of the artist to be true to what they make, you know, and not follow the trends of the marketplace because the market's going to do what the market is going to do. Um, your obligation is to make and make ferociously. So. And how much of, how much of that shift um, in, in changing where the lens is focused has to do with people like yourself, like getting into like masters in business, you know what I'm saying, of, of, of art? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and getting into those spaces and having those conversations with with the people at the top that are kind of they're disconnected from it like they they understand the canon through their art history books and their art history books don't feature sure. nigerian artists or you know what i mean no no not at all and, and and i'm glad you mentioned that because even one of the reasons why i went to graduate school um is to understand the system i'm a usurper like i want to go in and I want to bring the house down, right? I'm a revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. I want, I mean, you know me, uh, I prioritize <laughs> black people and African uh, people um, in everything that I do. And within that, in order for us to uh, create a sustainable system, and this is like the philosophy of, of why I'm even doing this and why I particularly work with uh, emerging artists um, is the system is broken. We already know that capitalism is the, the apex of how the art market works. And it basically prides itself off of exclusive information, um, uh, restricted access to material or artwork and or moving capital, which is basically laundering money. I mean, if we really want to <laughs> uh, call it what it is, it's like at the highest levels of the art world, um, you, you see uh, much of those valuations um, is for certain people to move currency from Russia mm. into the, yeah. the dollar or the pound into, you know, the rand or whatever those currency exchanges are uh, because the art market is unregulated. So um, I think uh, the key for us, particularly as, as the black community and understanding our visual arts is to cement uh, a language, a vocabulary, a universal vocabulary or visual literacy for our arts and culture, right? When I look at your art, I see symbiology that connects the Black Southern experience to the West African experience. Mm -hmm. How many other Black people, how many other African people can see those symbols and make those connections, right? The same way you see McDonald's and you see that golden arch, that means something. Right. We need to be able to see some of these uh, signs, forms, and, and symbols um, as well. And I think the role that I am playing in, in the art market is to first understand how the system works, which, you know, the master's degree and the experience of traveling the world and going to all the art market capitals from, you know, Hong to uh, Lagos, London, New York, LA, Miami, like several times in the last three or four years, I was able to get a good analysis of how um, our art, our culture, our visual culture is being consumed, how it's being valued, undervalued, um, but then also uh, misinterpreted. There's so many people who are writing and curating about who and what we are who have no direct connection right. to us or who've never been there. Right. There's a space for that, right, in, in the sense of consumption where people can learn. But I think we as a people have to define what that vocabulary is and give it to the art world, give it to the art market. That way they're not coming to us and saying, this is what it's worth. This is what I want to call your painting because it's easier to pronounce. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Gentrification>. <laughs> you got to say the name, yo. You got to say the name. Mm. 
There you go. This is Fabian Williams, a.k.a. Occasional Superstar, and you're listening to Studio Noise. It's a smart. Hey, give us a sense of how many uh, people like you are there uh, that's making that noise, like that's, that's kind of speaking that truth to them. Well, um, there's not many. Um, but fortunately, the ones that I'm aware of, I work with. Um, I'm a very collaborative person. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm always looking for a partnership. I, uh, I pride myself on collaboration and using the best person who knows what they're doing, but then also give people the opportunity to perform. So I also prioritize and choose and hire black people. So from my accountant to curators, writers, um, galleries that I work with, that I tend to funnel artists to even collectors, that whole ecosystem centered around black ownership uh ownership of the ideas the materials and the content yeah um but i i i kind of straddle a really interesting space because um i'm not an art advisor i'm not a curator i'm not a gallery owner (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but i work with all of them right um i'm i've been coined as being an art coach uh where I use my art market knowledge to support artists as they matriculate through the art market ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So whether it's in the studio and you're having some, um, you need a second voice to dialogue uh, conceptually about your work or about material. Practicing artists myself, I know how to have that conversation, but then also I know how to shift it and say, all right, work's done. It's been inventoried. We've priced it. Now let's talk about selling, right? What are the sales strategies? Let's talk about marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in a unique space there that I'm able to kind of oscillate between multiple spaces, but not really um, focus on just one. No, I appreciate that because because you also get to operate on a lot of different levels and and kind of bring that information down from the from the top levels and the galleries and the, the international clients to like, you know, little old me in my basement, you know what I'm saying? Making art and, you know, need some, need yeah. somebody to, to tell me something, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. You kind of, you separate, you kind of break down the levels a little bit. Like when you do that, like you give people like a peek at the upper level, uh, give them some goals. Like, like you said <laughs> in your presentation, you did with me, like the goals, you know what I mean? Set some goals for yourself. Uh, and a lot of times, a lot of artists, like you said, are just operating off of pure passion and talent and don't know what their goal should be in the first place. Damn, you know, you don't know, don't know where you're going, you know? <laughs> right, going. right. And, th- and that's the key, you know, um, uh, like I work with you and so many artists, and that's really where I start with most artists is the discovery consultation. And it is to source, define and prioritize your, your goals. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Who, who do you want to see this? Why? Um, and digging deep on that, it's, it's kind of like an art therapy session. I've, I've heard it described several times as that because I get into your mental. Um, you know, I get spiritual or, you know, I get ancestral and folks are like, oh, my God, I, didn't, I wasn't ready for this. I'm like, well, are you ready for the art market? You know what yeah, I'm saying? It's yeah. like, this is what it is. Um, yeah. it's, it, it's sport. It's competition to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 important for for artists to know that particularly early on and and constantly revisit either either on an annual or, um, you know, a semi annual basis to to make sure that you are working towards what you want to impart on the world. And through the hundred plus artists that I've worked with, um, even galleries and curators and writers over the last five years, essentially the angle is the same. There are variations of it, but the top one is is legacy, right? I want to leave my mark on humanity to tell this story. Because most artists are obsessive, or ferociously curious about a particular idea or a material, mm-hmm. and they want everyone to know the way I print is so different from that guy or this girl, right? right? Um, or the concept of of where you're from, you know, a lot of particularly black artists are exploring identity, right? The hybridity of what it means to be um, black, but 
Southern, yeah. <laughs> right? Which is a yeah. different kind of black in right. America. Right. Uh, or, you know, like myself, Nigerian American. Um, and that is also expressed through media. So many artists are multidisciplinary, intradisciplinary, mixed media. Like these are kind of like the, uh, the key words and the key hashtags now because so many people want to express themselves um, in whatever media fits the idea versus like, well, I'm, I'm just a painter. All I do is paint. <laughs> it's like, until you cast something <laughs> in bronze and then you're like, oh shit, let me do this. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and over in, in uh, the other countries, are they having the, the same conversations about like their different identities? Very much so. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's different in the sense that uh, the, the hybridization uh, de- deals with es- ethnicity and tribe. Um, because uh, urbanization is probably the biggest phenomenon that has hit, you know, uh, the last two centuries, where so many people are moving to a major city, where oftentimes they're from a rural area, a small village somewhere, you know. Um, I saw it in Senegal, I see it in Ghana, I see it in um, Morocco, I see it in Nigeria in recent travels, where they've learned other languages and other styles and movements because mm. of urbanization, they had to adapt. So there is that um, uh, adaptation that reorients them into understanding themselves to be a different person and having to evolve into that person. Because when you go back home, like you're from South Carolina, right? Yeah. <laughs> so coming from Atlanta to South Carolina, it's just like, <laughs> oh, you different, Jay Barber. You big time, you big city. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I live in Brooklyn now. Yeah. You I got grew new up words in Atlanta now. Yeah. and I was born in Kentucky. When I go to any one of those places, oh, Wall Street, Mr. International, <laughs> Mr. Travel. I mean, you introduced me as Mr. International. It's like, okay. Um, so I, I think it's important particularly for artists to have that freedom, that agency, that fugitivity to express themselves right. in multiple media and figure out what that means. And if I could also say this, this is the key reason why I named my business Ile Kwan. Because again, going back to the door, the door is the threshold. The door is inside and outside. The door is a liminal space where you you refuse to be just a printmaker. You're also a painter. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to express yourself in whatever way you want. And in order for you to step into that glory of your freedom of expression as a creative, you got to open a door, right? And you have to step through. So, meaning our door in Yoruba, um, is that. It's like, this is our door, our opportunity to step through and not limit ourselves to whatever uh, America or Europe has defined black artistic expression to be. But no, um, we're refusing all of that and saying we're both. We're all. And this is who I am. So um, I think it's important for uh, particularly black artists, African artists on the continent and living uh, throughout the world in the diaspora to understand that there are so many people who are looking for ways to express themselves or capture a feeling that they're not able to explain that hybridization. And a lot of that is expressed through art. And I know when I see artists from Nigeria that are Yoruba who have traveled abroad, I connect with that art immediately because I can tell they've been to Europe, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, because right. either they've been exposed to a different material or the way that they are interpreting, right. you know, their story. It's like they have experienced something else that has adapted them. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And it, and so we'll get into that right now where we talk about your new company that you got and how it relates to your other company, Creative Mill mm-hmm. U. Uh, that you had going on and kind of tell us what this new company is set up to do. Sure. So um, for uh, years of the organization, it was called Creative Milieu Consulting Group. And within that, uh, with art, culture, policy, and community initiative. So it was really about building. I really wanted to do so much undergrad. I came out of Georgia State studying public policy. Um, 
nonprofit uh, management, I was like, all right, social change. I was like a social change warrior. Mm. So I'm like, I'm not just going to do art. I'm going to do policy. I'm going to do things <laughs> in the community, which yeah. was great. And I did. But then I also had to listen to my audience, right? The same way that I hold my clients to an expectation and saying, all right, who are you trying to market to? Who's the audience you want to connect to? I had to do some reevaluating after those five years. Graduate school gave me a chance to do that as well and reflect on, all right, who is what saying and 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 contributing um and when i surveyed that um then on it deeply i realized you know this is actually like two companies <laughs> uh first being because i started working with artists then started working with galleries and some museums and smaller cultural institutions doing staffing and then art fairs i was like wow i'm hopping all around the so many things. I'm like, all right, um, I need to clean this up. <laughs> I'm a professional. <laughs> so let me refine my practice and I leverage this expensive master's degree and um, streamline. Um, so I split the company into two. So creative milieu consulting services, um, source trains and hires temporary staff for the creative economy, focusing on art businesses. So your galleries, your um, any creative industry, even film festivals and other um, creative entities are always looking for temporary staff. Mm -hmm. So many visual artists in that space where it's like, again, I want to create my art, but I need some money to buy materials and even feed myself. Yeah. Jeremiah, you got an opportunity for me? I was like, sure. And I would link them to opportunities to work in a gallery um, sometimes installing, fabricating, um, mm -hmm. working as uh, studio assistants, working at art fairs and customer service, sales, I mean, front facing, behind the scenes, all of these different kind of short term opportunities, but also grew their awareness in the art world and also connected them to, to new creatives and new opportunities. So I was like, okay, that has scaled. That was my capstone project. Let me... Um, build that as an individual business where I'm staffing and supporting uh, creatives who are looking for short-term work all throughout their creative economy. That's one side. Then I shifted and said, all right, my core business and where my passion also lies is develop artists at every stage. Sure, I'm definitely keen in working with emerging artists, but I'm also looking to work with the established artists who's just kind of hit a rut. They've been working with the same gallery for five, six years, right? but they haven't scaled, right? The public sculptures, they haven't done a Biennale, they haven't um, innovated their materials, their practice, they haven't explored new relationships. So how can I now bridge and also connect some of the emerging artists with the established artists and bridge a, a better conversation about how they can both serve each other? Because the younger artist wants mentors, the older artists perspective like yeah. hey young man how do i use an iphone you yeah. know it's like yeah or it's like what's acrylic <laughs> it's like i use oil you know so it's like things like that so it's it, ecosystem and with ile kunwa it is about our door that possessive um pronoun of our i i chose very specifically because i want artists to know that this is a community um that we we should own um so Within this new structure, um, you know, in the month of June and July, we'll be releasing a whole new suite of services and some great things um, uh, to better support artists, to help them create, sustain and thrive. That's what's up, man. And that's what people need, man. And especially like uh, um, go back to the COVID-19 talk, but like in times like this where people need uh, they need to pivot and they don't know how. I don't know yeah. what the new frontier is going to look like. They don't know how to make the moves they do. Uh, some people are adaptive and some people are not. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And, but the essence of creativity, if you are a creative professional and something I say all the time is professionalism is the combination of passion and proficiency. Mm. Passion is what I think if you're a creative, you're already passionate. Because most of your parents or family members, you'll be poor. 
right? <laughs> but you do it anyway because you love it and you need to make, you need to do something with your hands. So there's, that's one side. But the thing that's actually going to sustain you is proficiency. So it's saying that when an opportunity does come through my door, that they're asking for a price or they're asking how long it's going to take your proficiency as a professional, because you've done it a number of times, you carved on this, you know, uh, linoleum enough times to know that it takes this amount of time. So if it's a commission, it's like, yes, it'll be 30 days for me to create. And this is the price that is proficiency. Yeah. Right. And the combination of passion and proficiency, um, enables an artist to, uh, really, uh, command and assert their value in the marketplace. That's true. Is it a, is it a lot of people out in this space that you're thinking about doing that are like helping people as kind of consultant manager? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's an, there's a good number. I, I think there's more and more now. Um, there's a couple of organizations in my own market research of understanding other art coaches or, um, art business incubators that are helping artists scale what they're doing or in the art marketplace. A lot of them are civic and nonprofit organizations. Um, uh, the New York Foundation for the Arts, which is a great organization. A lot of your local arts councils in bigger cities do offer professional development. I know in Baltimore, they have a great ecosystem um, center for cultural uh, innovation that I mentioned and have collaborated with in San Francisco and LA does the same. Um, yeah, but you know, a, a lot of it is for a lot of artists, professional development has come through trial and error. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Particularly arguing with a gallery or, <laughs> you know, a cousin yeah. who said, Oh, I'm gonna give you 5,000 for this piece. Let me just hold it for the weekend. And then you don't see that cousin for, you know, six months. Yeah. So the trial and error of those things kind of builds the professional appetite for a lot of artists. Some of them don't last because they're like, man, I don't want to deal with this stress. I just want to make. Majority of the artists I work with is like, listen, Jeremiah, I just want to get to a point where I can wake up, create art, and then call you and whoever you're working with to handle the rest. Mm. And just like modern day economy, their specialties of practice. That's what economics is. You know? Yeah specialization of skills so thinking of ways to again keep the artist in the studio so they can explore materials and their ideas and then just come in support when they need so um less of the standard you have to do this every day all the time and it's like when you need us here are the myriad of service here's a menu Mm -hmm. you order a little of this a little of that and we got you i think that's what people need because uh Cause a lot of people like, like I mentioned before, like I needed like that kind of help. Like, cause a lot of the uh, processes that I focus on before is about printmaking specifically. So, you know, mm-hmm. you come to Jay and ask me anything about printmaking, you know, bam, 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 I got you. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like it's nothing. So it's like all the other stuff. And so I actually, that question is specifically because I uh, just want to emphasize that there, there aren't a lot of people that people have access to that are doing what you do. Right. Yeah. And so like a lot of the times, like even the organizations that you collab with, you're collabing with an organization. And so people have to go under the organization to have access to people that are doing the type of things that you're doing. And so, you know, I think that's great that you that it's out there for people to have that option to to start to explore and consider their professional career in a different way. And I think that's what you do. Uh with the conversations and consultations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, again, that's something that I learned through experience myself in consulting with various different artists at different levels. Um, you know, there are some that I worked very early on, uh, where it was an everyday today kind of engagement. And then it just started to diminish. So I was like, Ooh, kind of hurt me a little bit because I was like, <laughs> man, that's my boy. That's my homegirl. Like <laughs> we grew up together in this art world. Yeah. And then I realized two things. Part of my goal is to um, give them a hand up, not a hand out. So I want to train them. So I don't want to be everyone's studio manager. I want to support you when you need it, yeah. whether it's reviewing a consignment agreement, whether it's figuring out shipping, fabrication, um, I don't know, applying for grants, um, negotiating with a gallery. Um, you know, uh, designing or planning out exhibitions. Those are things that are kind of one-offs. Um, and fortunately, through traveling, 
it's like the accessibility to me has been really great. Uh, very active on social media, as you know. Uh, follow me. <laughs> how tall are you? Um, on Instagram, that's spelled out for you. Um, and to know how tall I am, you got to follow me. Um, <laughs> uh, and then also Ile Kuma, um, I-L-E-K-U-N-W-A. Um, but I'm sure you're going to ask me for all of that. Oh, you already know. You already know. You know, we know we got you, man. You know, try, try to let everybody know about it, man. Let everybody know about it. it. So tell, tell me, um, like over the last couple of years that you have been, or been doing your thing, like give me like, I don't know, two or three like artists that you came across or that you've worked with that have been like, uh, really impactful to you. Uh, you, you already know one that always comes to mind all the time. Cause we, we really grew up in this art game together and he let me try a lot of the crazy gorilla tactics that I have implemented early fine. Um, now, uh, Alfred Conte. Uh, oh yeah. Big Conte. Yeah. Big shout out to Alfred Conte, uh, friend, brother, client, been working with him from the very beginning, learned a lot from him, particularly about materials and process. And then also was able to share my, my marketing sales strategy knowledge and, and, and uh, supporting him where he needed it. Uh, let's see, other artists I've worked with, Delphine Diallo, uh, photographer, um, collage artist based here in New York. She's a, a French and Senegalese. Uh, worked with uh, Frank Schroeder, another French um, Ivorian artist. Uh, so many. Uh, Genesis Tremaine, Brooklyn-based artist, uh, painter, um, really amazing. Uh, worked with her in the Richard Beavis Gallery recently. Um, she had a solo exhibition in London with Almi Reich. So worked with her. Wow. Uh, Frank Morrison, uh, Asiko, an amazing photographer um, and now filmmaker uh, of Nigerian descent, but based in, in London. Um, let's see. So when you're walking around like in New York and like and <laughs> you see another like person from the continent, do y'all like have like a special call or something? Like how do you how do you end up connected with all these like <laughs> like people from like all these slashes? Like cause it, and, and that's what I appreciate. I'm not trying to be funny when I say that, but like that's what I appreciate is like somehow, like in all like the fuss of like this Americanness that we have going on, like it's people mm-hmm like that are from like representing all these different identities, like all the slashes that you're talking about, like, you know, French, Nigerian, blah, 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 like all this other stuff. Like how is Mm -hmm. it, how is it y'all managed to connect like, like that? I I love it. Well, there's a secret social media site. (laughs) It's a Facebook group. Um, (laughs) Right, right, right. And and it's closed. There's an application process. No. Actually, it's, it's really interesting because um, years ago, I realized when you're radically living your truth, you attract exactly what you want mm. and exactly who you are. Mm. That's what artwork is. The reason was why I know I am good at what I do. And I say that with the full and the highest level of confidence is because I've been a practicing artist. I've been a gallery director. And then I've worked with every other element of the visual arts ecosystem. And because of that, I'm able to get on what I want to work with and what interests me. That's black visual arts. And because of that, I tell one person and they tell a thousand, right? I'll get a DM randomly. I I get a lot of business from Instagram and folks will be like, hey man, I was talking to a friend and they said, you do that black art thing. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes I do. Um, and I've become a nexus for that. And that's because I, I put it out there that um, I am here to support and, and develop and uplift black visual arts in the ecosystem. So when people know that orientation, they'll come to me just off the strength, right? Saying, all right, this brother is about his community, our community. And word travels around, particularly because of that hybridization. And I also travel myself. Right. It's like wherever I go, I'll do studio visits. And I'm really good about setting expectations. I'm like, listen, I'm not a curator. So I'm not going to put any of your work in a show, you know, 
there may be an opportunity if we collaborate, but I also want to understand what your challenges are. So myself, my team, and other people that I uh, work with can build services and, and create content to better serve you. Um, because there's a fair majority of artists who can't afford uh, professional development services. But sometimes I, I wrestle with that because it's, it's really an opportunity cost. And this is something that I, I use to kind of filter because I get inquiries all the time. But, hey, Jeremiah, yo, <laughs> find me a gallery. Or, hey, man, I need X, Y, Z. Review this contract. And I'm like, okay, here's the fee. And they're like, come on, man. I'm your brother. And it's like, okay, I understand that. Didn't you buy that canvas, those acrylics, um, that welding machine? You invested in your your practice. You got all this great artwork and you have no strategy on what to do with it. Now I'm asking you $350 for a discovery consultation and you like, oh my God. (laughs) But you just spent that. on some canvas yesterday and the information i'm going to give you is going to allow you to actually sell and propel and sustain your practice and thrive part of it constantly reinforcing my own value right because Mm -hmm. yes i make art but it's not for the marketplace it's for myself so how i make my money (laughs) is through providing services for artists right and sure there are some services that are a little bit more expensive than others, but in the fair scheme of things, because they constantly survey and ask artists, you know, what they need and what the values are based on their capacity, I'm pretty reasonably priced comparatively. Um, so generally, a lot of artists tend to find me through a referral where they've talked to one other person and they're like, oh, you should talk to Jeremiah or, you know, um, yeah, and it, and it kind of ripples. So that's how I started working with galleries. It's like working through artists and negotiating all the, the war of words between the two. Uh, yeah. You know, galleries like, no, you handle that well. You want to work with me? <laughs> and I'm like, sure. <laughs> but that's good. I think that speaks to uh, what you were saying before, your competence, like in what you're doing. Like you, you, you're, if you are good at what you do, like the saying, I'm sure you get the same advice to artists. If, you're, if you make art that is from your heart, from your soul, like... Uh, that's filled with all that creative energy, it will find its place somewhere. Right. And I think that's the same thing you're doing with yeah. with all the services and stuff. And yeah. so I definitely appreciate it, man. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, I am only uh, in this position because of you. Much like, you know, I was an early um, interviewee of the Studio Noise podcast. Shout out to you and Jazz. Um, you too were one of the earlier artists I began to work with when I was still living and working in Atlanta. So, you know, shout out to you and your practice uh, because it's through your explanation and really um, exposing me to your style of printmaking. I'm like, I really like prints. <laughs> and this guy is really dope. It's like, so part of it is it's an, it's an exchange, man. I'm constantly learning and consuming information. I'm ferociously curious about ideas, material, and talent, and, and cultivating all those things. So, you know, uh, part of my confidence comes through the confidence of the artist um, that they have in what they're doing. Uh, and sometimes I have to remind them of that because every artist has just a very beautiful and poetic way of expressing themselves. And, you know, uh, we all need to be uplifted, especially like us black people, you know. For sure. Got up. Oh, man, that's for sure, for sure. And so, man, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. It's been great catching up with you. You know what I'm saying? Make sure everybody finds you. Like you said, at Instagram, I'm going to go ahead and let you say all your stuff again, like right here where people can hear it. Sure. So uh, check out first uh, my website. It's going to launch uh, mid-June, um, com. That's I-L-E. K-U-N-W-A.com. And then you can follow us on the socials at at ilekun.wa. Um, and then also follow me. I tend to post a lot of the workshops. I do Instagram live, take questions randomly for artists who just need help. And I'll try and make that more regular during this quarantine time where just be a resource because I, I really want to be able to offer information. But you can follow me on my personal Instagram um, at how tall are you uh, fully spelled out and uh, yeah success is about support so we got to support each other Um, I look forward to meeting and connecting with anyone who wants to connect and uh, thank you so much 
Jamal and Jiggy 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 Jazz <laughs> with the studio noise. Y'all have been great. Always, appreciate man. You, you're the fan, man. People love when you come on, man. I, I appreciate you sharing your information with us. No doubt. No doubt. It's an honor. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to my man, Old Joe. I appreciate him coming on the podcast. He traveled all around, man. I want to travel like you, big dog. <laughs> I want to do what you do. You know what I mean? Maybe one day somebody will look at his artwork and like it enough to <laughs> invite me somewhere <laughs> so I could come out with y'all. Uh, but I know y'all waiting so so patiently um, in the meantime for the next episode of Studio Noise. So we have the amazing, the wonderful Phyllis Stevens on the podcast. Uh, she's a quilter. She's an art collector. She's an art dealer. She does all the things. And she's a wonderful person to talk to. Y'all going to enjoy that conversation. I promise. Uh, it, but in the meantime, between time, you need something to listen to. I know Jiggy Jazz will suggest this one to you. Uh, this is Chloe and Haley. Uh, the Ungodly Hour new album just came out. It was a great listen. fantastic songs up there some some really good stuff uh so i know jiggy jazz is loving it <laughs> on where she at those are girls and uh one thing you know i was never cute enough to pull off the line uh to let's tell somebody i'm from outer space uh that's different you know <laughs> that's a, that's a whole another level <laughs> but yeah check that out enjoy it it'll give you good vibes in the studio uh as always Thank you so much for listening to Studio Noise. Wherever you're listening, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you're listening, why don't you hit that subscribe button? If you listen on Apple Podcasts, why don't you drop us a nice five-star review? Uh, get us pumped up in the charts. Let everybody know about the noise. Uh, you can follow us on IG at Studio Noise Podcast. Uh, you can send us an email. Uh, whenever you want like to hold more conversation with your boy tell me i'm doing all right <laughs> by myself flying solo uh give other suggestions email me at studio noise podcast at gmail.com you can follow jiggy jazz at negris.supreme don't forget that dot and you can follow your boy jay barber on jay barber studio on all your social medias and to all my artists out there it's all right you're adding your voice to the protest you in you in san francisco seattle you're going to Minnesota where it happened, Louisiana. A uh, big shout out to all of them down there, adding their voice to the process. But even if you add your voice and your voice is not about protests, about solidarity and love, whatever it is, whatever you're expressing, just make sure that you let them hear you, baby. You got to make some noise, especially now, right now. And we're going to see you next week on The Noise. Peace. <laughs>